Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 7. And as I inferred earlier, it's a passage of scripture that I have not, I must confess, I have not been overly familiar with in my Christian journey. And I cannot remember having been heard it preached on before, but it's Mark 7 verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his present secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on a bed. And the demon had gone. Good morning. Thank you for the kind words. Now I have to live up to them. (laughs) What I find amazing from standing up here is looking outside. And this morning I could see snow, I could see wind, I could see leaves. But worshipping from this place will be even more amazing looking out into God's world. When I told my little boys that I'm coming to talk at their church, they said, but no, mummy, that is not your church. You cannot come and speak to that church. This is God's church, and we come to worship the one true God. So thank you for the invite. I wonder if you have seen the film Blood Diamonds. Anybody? It's a bit old now. Yeah. Some of you. For those of you who have not seen it, it is set in the continent of Africa and it deals with human greed as people are killed or being killed because people want diamonds so they can sell them to the West and we can wear them on our rings or necklaces or earrings. It is a very eye-opening film and brutal film, so if you get a chance to watch it, do watch it. But there is one part in the film when the main character is talking to a woman. And he says, after he talks about the way his parents were killed, mother raped and father beheaded, he said, will God ever forgive us for what we are doing to each other? And then straight after that, He continued, but then I look around and realize that God left us a long time ago. Bleak helplessness, don't you think? Divisions, hurt, barriers, pain, all created by us humans. And then we come to this passage. And again, we find the same thing. We find enemies. We find hatred. We find two groups of people that are not 
friends with each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the reasons for their divisions are many. They are religious, as we know, they are economical, political, and other reasons. Because we are very good at finding reasons as to why we don't like somebody else, aren't we? We are good at that. Economical. Tyre was a famous harbour and a fortress because of the way it was created. And Tyre was a coastal city. And all the Jewish farmers from Upper Galilee would come through this coastal city to export their goods and make their living. Okay? But because they came through the city, they had to pay all their taxes so that their stuff would be sold on. So the city was rich. Whenever there was an agricultural crisis, who were the ones that suffered? The farmers. Not the city. The city people still wanted their taxes, so the farmers would be left without. So you can see from simply an economical view, they were not best friends, were they? They did not like each other. There was bitterness, anger, and resentment. Secondly, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. The only chosen people. They are the ones that are loved by God, not the rest of the world. God does not love the Gentile people. We are it. We are God's chosen people. When I first became a Christian in Albania, and now you know the accent, um, I became a Christian into a church that had experienced division before I joined them. And a group of people had left the church and started a new church by themselves. And I came into a culture that said, well, we were right and they were wrong. And we have got God's word right. We understand it the best. And I grew up in my Christian journey with that attitude because I didn't know anything different. There were several churches in our city, very young churches, because there was nothing before, com- before the 90s during communism. So we're talking about two or three-year-old churches. And I remember every time I talked to my friends, we talked about the fact that we were in the best church in the city. We had got it right. And then a youth camp was organized for all the young Christians of the city. And we went away for a week. And I met people that loved God more than I did. I met some very amazing people. And God took away all that thinking. And I realized that we are all loved the same by God. So I can understand a little bit of how the Jewish people felt. Not fully, though, because they've had years and years of thinking that they are God's chosen people. Yeah? And now, it is into this mindset and culture and context into which Jesus comes. And then, what does he do in our passage? He ventures into Gentile territory. He breaks impurity rules. 
They believed in that time that if you came into contact with unclean people, you became unclean yourself and therefore not able to fully worship God. And yet Jesus chooses to take himself out of the Jewish land into Gentile land. Maybe he's making a statement here. I don't know. And then what happens? And then he speaks to a Gentile woman. Don't you find this passage a bit harsh? We have heard Jesus challenge the Pharisees. We have seen Jesus turn over the tables at the temple, rightly angered. But we've always seen Jesus care for individuals that came to him asking for help, haven't we? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He did all these amazing things. And here he is saying to this poor, desperate woman, you can't take the food of children and toss it to the dogs. Is he our Jesus? What is going on here? Well, there are two words that I used in Greek to describe dogs. Okay? Kinarion and Kion. And if we translated them properly, one of them translates into a household or a pet dog. And the other one translates into a stray or semi-wild dog. Okay? Let me take you to my culture and to this culture and hopefully make you see it more clearly. In Albania, there are a lot of dogs. They're all on the streets. Um, when we go and visit my mom, um, there's, in that small street, there's about 20, isn't there? A lot of stray dogs. Nobody cares for them. If you have a dog, you have them outside the house, chained, and they are guarding the house, that's their purpose, and you throw the leftovers to them. Okay? This is how we see dogs, or did see dogs. When I first came to this country and I met my future mother-in-law, she had several dogs, two or three at that point, and I found out that there is health insurance for dogs. My mind could not comprehend it. And yet this is how it is here, isn't it? Dogs are very much part of our household, aren't they? We take good care of them. They are like members of our family. Okay? So this is Albanian and British. Now if I take you back to the Bible times, can you compare yourselves to the Gentiles and the Albanians to the Jewish people? The Jewish culture treated the dogs like the Albanians treat the dogs. Okay? The dogs were stray, semi-wild. They are the kion. The Gentile people, where this woman comes from, treated the dogs as members of the household, as we treat the dogs here. Kinarian. And that's the word that has been used in this scripture. Kinarian. Jesus talks to the woman in her language, doesn't he? She knows what he is saying to her when he is talking to her. She knows that she'll never leave her dog unfed. She knows that she'll feed the children, but she'll always feed the dog as well. So he's speaking to her into her context 
and in her language, straightway valuing her for who she is. It's also, I think, shaming his disciples, the Jewish people that are with him, because, as I said, the Jewish people sometimes call the Gentile people dogs. Not good enough. Very inferior. And by allowing this woman to actually win the argument with Jesus, he is shaming his disciples. If we read this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, we find that it comes straight after Peter walks on water. You know the story, don't you? Jesus is walking on water, comes towards the boat, and Peter says, if it is you, Lord, call me and I'll walk on water. Yeah? And Peter starts walking on water, and then he loses sight of Jesus. He loses trust, and he starts sinking. And Jesus calls him, you of little faith. Peter knows Jesus. He has seen him perform miracles. He has sat in his presence, felt his love. And yet he loses trust and he is called, you of little faith. And here we have a woman that doesn't know Jesus at all. She's only just met him. He even talks to her about dogs. She trusts in him so much that he says to her, you of great faith. You know, my friends, sometimes we think we know what faith is. To be challenged by another, by somebody that we didn't think was good enough. To see what faith is all about. You of little faith. You of great faith. Jesus came for all. We talk about Jesus and we talk about the disciples. What about the woman herself? If the Jewish people hated the Gentiles, do you think the Gentiles were loving them back and waiting for them to love them? I think the Gentiles hated the Jewish people as well. If you hate me, I'm going to hate you back. So it must have been really hard for a Gentile male to approach a Jewish male. Yeah? Even harder for a Gentile male to approach a Jewish male teacher. And even harder for a Gentile woman to approach a Jewish male and teacher. I don't know, it's easy for us today, but if you try and think about it, it was not done, simply not done. And yet this woman comes to Jesus. She is a desperate mother. She is experiencing unexplainable hurt and pain, seeing her little baby suffer. And she hears of Jesus, and she comes, she crosses all the boundaries that people have put up because she wants to come to Jesus. How many of us have come to Jesus in our desperation, in our time of need? As I grew up, I never heard of Jesus ever because nobody was allowed to speak of Jesus. But when I finally heard of him, I was learning more and more about him 
but it was just head knowledge. I went to a youth club for a whole year before I had a very difficult time in my life and I didn't want to live anymore. And I turned to Jesus in desperation. And he heard me. And he loved me. And he healed me. And I was a changed person. And all I wanted to do was share his love with the people in my country. And I traveled and I went to different parts of the country in a culture where women stayed at home like good girls. And I remember my mom saying to me, when she saw the transformation, she said, I will let you go anywhere and do anything for your God. We all come to God in our time of desperation. And he listens. Believe me, he listens. He listened to this foreign woman. And did you notice, as this woman comes to Jesus, she comes humbled. She knows her failed status. She knows who she is. And she does not ask for a whole loaf of bread. She asks for the crumbs from under the table. Such humility. I found myself in my Christian journey that I have become arrogant of what God has given me. I take it for granted. I expect it. God has given me so much. Jesus broken for me. And yet this woman reminds me not to become arrogant, but to become humbled more and more of the love that Jesus shows us. Arrogant reminds me of another story from Albania. I have mixed some testimonies so you know a little bit more about me. Uh, when I was at university, I was involved with Campus Crusade from Christ with some American leaders coming to lead us. I was a Bible study leader and I worked in the dormitory with the American leaders. And there were two girls in this dormitory that I didn't like much. Okay? In a culture where you're not allowed to have a boyfriend, they had several not my kind of girl at all. And then my American leaders asked me to invite them to go to a conference. And my response, I am sure they don't want to come to conference. They'd rather spend their time with their boyfriends. The look in my American friends' faces showed me what I was doing. They asked the girls themselves and they didn't come, but that's not the point. It made me think, was I choosing who is good for the kingdom of God and who isn't? Had I become this arrogant that I knew who God loved and God didn't? Can I read this passage from the Gospel of Luke to you, please? Luke 13. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, 
They were worse sinners than all other Galileans. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this tree, and I still find none. Why should it be wasting the soil? Cut it down. The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. The people of Israel that came to speak to Jesus and bring to him these examples of tragedy came with their preconceived ideas of who they thought their God was. And this story, we will describe their belief system. When the blind English poet John Milton was old, he was visited by Charles II, son of the king that the Puritans beheaded. And Charles II told him, Your blindness is a judgment from God for the part that you played against my father. Milton responded, If I have lost my sight because of God's judgment, what can be said of your father who lost his head? Okay? At that time, they believed that God punished the bad and blessed the good. I don't know if you've seen Stephen Fryer's comment on God recently. It's been circulating on Facebook, that's where I saw it. And when he was asked about God, and he declares himself to be atheist, doesn't he? It seemed to me that he was talking as if God actually existed, if you heard it. If you haven't, go and have a listen. But he was blaming God for all the bad things that are happening in the world. To him, God was a God that punishes a horrible, terrible God. A wrong idea of who our God is as the people of Israel had at that time. And I think Jesus wanted to challenge that because they believed that God is a God who sends violence, tragedy and death upon those who have sinned. And to challenge this, he tells them this parable. Have you heard it before? The parable of the vineyard and the fig tree. Yeah? Parables are amazing. Because you read them today, you find something. You read them tomorrow, you find out something else, don't you? And it always speaks to you in different ways depending on where you are at. 
In the past, whenever I read it, I thought of the vineyard owner as God and the gardener as Jesus. Fig tree, me not bearing fruit, if you like. And yet, when I read it, read it again, I found that the vineyard owner can be the wisdom or the belief of the world then and now. The wisdom of the world then that said that if you're not good, you need to be cut off. If you're not producing the fruit that you should be producing, you need to be thrown into the fire. The wisdom of the world now that values competency, success, unhealthy work ethics. The wisdom of the world now that does not value suffering or failure or falling apart. The wisdom of the world now that when a tragedy happens, wants to fix it. When a tragedy happens, it wants to blame someone and sue someone. When grief happens, it wants you to get over it and move on with your life. If you seem weak, you are good for nothing. It seems to me that the wisdom of the world now sees a vulnerable tree and demands that it be cut off. And then we have a vineyard. What is a fig tree doing in a vineyard? It's a bit strange, isn't it? It's not fitting with the norm. It's not part of the whole. Very different to the rest of the vines. Why keep it? Why keep this strange thing with all the other things that look the same? Why keep this outsider in with the rest of us? And then we meet the gardener. And to me, the gardener is Jesus. Jesus who declares our value. Not because we look a certain way, not because we do this or that or the other, but simply because he loves us. And like the gardener, Jesus gets his hands dirty, gets in the manure of life with us and declares our value in God. Our value that depends only on his love. But you see, we as humans find it hard. We don't want a God who washes our feet. Who don't want, we don't want a God who loves our enemies. Who loves those that we don't like. Those of a different race or culture. Those of our race and culture who seem a bit difficult. We don't get on with. We don't want a God who loves criminals. We don't want a God who opens his arms wide and is executed on the cross. And yet, this is the God that we have. This is our Jesus. Our Jesus who came to love every single one of us. Never excluded anyone. Welcomed the Gentile woman. Welcomed everyone. Justin Welby, speaking at a conference in New York recently, said, and I quote, Jesus comes into the exile of the city of men in which human beings find themselves. 
and it challenges every assumption we make as to what is a good outcome for our society. He does not permit us to accept a society in which the weak are excluded, whether because of race, wealth, gender, ability or sex sexuality. We, like Jesus, should be an inclusive people, a people that loves all, people that can see the world through the eyes of Jesus. We pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, of acceptance, of inclusiveness. If we pray for that kingdom to come on earth, we include, we love, we have been given so much. We have been given Jesus. My friends, if we have been given so much, this love is not only for us. This love is for God's world and we are called to share it with it. Let me, let me leave you with this. I, I understand the band will be taking their places towards the end of my talk. Is that correct? Let me leave you with this. When I first came here, I came to study and I was doing my dissertation, my first ever dissertation on mission to the Albanians. And I decided to go and interview somebody because that might have got me better marks. Okay? So I went all the way to Wales to uh, interview the leader of the mission organization that came into Albania that enabled my church to reopen. And I had prepared many questions, and one of the questions was, bearing in mind that Albania had just come out of communism, it was very poor, it still is one of the poorest countries in Europe. My question was, how do you care for the physical needs of the Albanian people? The answer, we are not called to care for the physical needs. We are only called to care for their spiritual needs. Jesus came. Jesus fed. Jesus healed the physical bodies. Jesus loved the whole person. Jesus gave value time and again to the whole person living on this earth now. May we that have experienced so much, may we that have found value in the eyes of God, do the same. Amen. Thank you. I've had the privilege of hearing that message twice. I would urge you to go home and listen to it on the web in writing. However, go home and listen to it again. It is something that strikes into our, struck into my heart and to the service at nine o'clock. And bearing in mind where we are as a church, what God is going to be revealing to us over the next uh, few weeks as Ben and the team share our vision for the future. Maybe God is encouraging and preparing us to go into places that perhaps we're not comfortable with, maybe places we would rather avoid, bringing us into contact with people that perhaps we would rather never go near. Who knows what challenges God is preparing us to face. 
we're going to join together and in answer to the question, who knows what we're going to face, the answer of how we do that is to sing this song. The song is, I will offer up my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the love of oil as my worship to you. Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring? We just bring ourselves. That's all Jesus is asking for. If we bring ourselves, he can move mountains. So let's, in response to what Ava's saying, stand and sing this song. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. <laughs>